Welcome back to AR Zone on the issue of intersectionality. Brief interviews ahead of the Pro Intersectionality Vegan Conference being held at VegFest London in October 2016. I'm AR Zone founder Carolyn Bailey, and I'm joined for these special podcasts by Christopher Sebastian. In today's episode, Sebastian and I are thrilled to welcome our guest, Brenda Sanders, to our series on intersectionality. Brenda is a food justice activist in Baltimore City who has dedicated her life to fighting for vulnerable populations. As a community organiser, Brenda has coordinated events like the Vegan Living Program, an annual six-week vegan education program, Eating for Life, a plant-based cooking workshop, Vegan Soul Fest, a festival that celebrates culture and the vegan lifestyle, and she's a founding member of Pep Foods, a vegan food collective bringing affordable vegan food to marginalised communities in Baltimore. Brenda promotes veganism in her social justice work because it addresses health disparities, environmental destruction and animal exploitation and gives individuals the ability to affect real positive change in the world. Thanks for making time for, to speak with us today, Brenda, and welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Welcome, Brenda. Um, it's Sebastian here. Do you mind starting out by telling us candidly about your experiences of anti-Black racism in your activism? and the impact it's had on you personally and your approach? I think that all of the anti-black racism that I've experienced in my vegan activism has come from folks in the animal rights community, which was really hard for me because I felt like um, I had finally found my people <laughs> in a way. I, I had finally found a group of people who cared about things that nobody else around me cared about, things like our impact on the environment, our connection to the other animals on the planet. And so finding out that there was this movement called the Animal Rights Movement and, um, you know, starting to work within the movement, I was very excited. I think everything was fine initially until I had the audacity to start to um, make the connections between animal oppression and um, the forms of human oppression that I have experienced. And at that point, all hell broke loose. And <laughs> people within the animal, the mainstream animal rights movement um, were very upset and um, definitely tried to silence that perspective. So, um, and so there was the, of, of course, the, the blatant, awful, um, racism that was a lot less, um, it, it was, it was a lot more rare, but like I've been called racial slurs. I've been told that I don't belong in our movement, um, was told by an activist, you don't belong in our movement. Um, and I won't mention the racial slur that I was called, but, um, there was definitely that there was also, um, just this whole animal rights is about the animals. You don't have the right to talk about your personal experiences in this space. So um, that was really hard for me because it was like folks within the movement expected me to um, just erase a whole part of myself in order to conform to what the mainstream movement was doing. And that just was not something that I could do. That is really stunning. Um, it's it's also really telling when we when we have these conversations because it, it's so frequently that like the mainstream movement borrows um, like borrows conversations from anti-black racism from from feminism and 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 talks about these things from 
you know, from from the from the animal rights perspective. Um, but there's an expectation that, like, you know, that we don't talk about these things ourselves as people of color um, and our own personal experiences. So, like, you know, it's, it's really it's really telling and really disappointing that that happens. Like, tell us um, tell us a little bit more about how that has impacted your your approach to to how you conduct activism and, and whom you focus your activist efforts on. Yeah, so what it did, honestly, was, um, I would say after about a year <laughs> of sort of bashing my head against the wall, it kind of brought me to a place where I really um, interact with the mainstream animal rights movement as little as possible. And I focus almost all of my efforts in the marginalized communities uh, where this work is needed the most. And because I'm from a very um, economically marginalized community in Baltimore, I really feel like that's where I belong anyway. <laughs> I mean, it's it's what I understand. It's what I know. It's um, a place where um, the what I'm saying is, is accepted um, and it's where my heart is, honestly. These communities are where my heart is. And so I focus, like I said, almost all of my activism in communities, um, low-income communities of color, um, in Baltimore, and and also around the country, and so um, so I think for my own personal mental health and emotional health, I really needed to kind of put like draw a line in the sand and say, okay, mainstream animal rights movement, you stay on that side, and I'll be on this side doing my work. <laughs> Brenda. I want to apologize as a white person that you've had to experience these sort of things. It's unacceptable and it should never happen to anybody. The work that you do, not just in your community, but worldwide is absolutely amazing. You focus on practical steps to bring veganism and plant-based foods to your community, to people who may be experiencing racism, poverty and other forms of oppression. Clearly, the idea that all we need to do is tell people that veganism is a moral imperative is not necessarily going to work in most real world circumstances. I'd like to ask you why it's so important that we make an effort to better understand how various communities are affected by oppression themselves, as well as how other animals are affected by oppression. Yeah, so um, so this is actually something that... Um that it's an issue that I basically felt like I was banging my head against the wall um, with within the animal rights community, uh, this idea that it's, it's just easy, it's just simple. You know, being vegan is the right thing to do, and so you just do it. Uh, this idea that it's just a moral imperative and that's it and, you know, no uh, compromises and, you know, just it, it just doesn't fit into the world <laughs> that I live in. Um, I guess it's fine of a concept. I don't know, but but you know, in in the actual world that a lot of us live in, it's not practical at all. I work within a community that um, I describe as being in perpetual survival mode, and I also grew up in perpetual survival mode, and and I understand the way that being in that place. Um, over the course of a lifetime, um, it affects 
folks emotionally and, and psychologically. Um, and so when I go into communities, um, into marginalized communities, I go in from the perspective, what can I do for you? What are your needs and how can I be of assistance? Um, for a lot of folks, just the basic, you know, needs, uh, food and a safe environment um, are not even being addressed for them. And so we have to, you know, if we want to realistically do um, advocacy and, and activism in these communities, we have to understand what the situation is for these folks, uh, where they're coming from, what they've experienced, what they've been through, um, to even begin to um, assess how we can approach uh, them with our activism. Um, and so for me, a lot of times it comes down to helping to provide for those basic needs. There are so many health disparities in low-income communities in Baltimore, and so um, and and also a lack of access to food, real food. I mean, there, it just doesn't exist in these communities. And so, one of the things that we try to do is go in and help the community to build a garden, um, and that gives folks an opportunity to um, have access to healthy food and also start to take back control of their food system because. Um, that's a huge problem in these communities. There are outside forces that are completely in control of their food system. And so giving them the skill to actually get in the dirt and grow food and, and provide for their families is very empowering, and it starts the dialogue. It starts uh, the process of being able to uh, get folks out of, that survival mode where there's just one goal, and that is to live until the next day, um, and starts to free up some space for them to think about other things, to, to think about the environment, to think about the other animals on the planet. Um, and so for me and my work, bringing the community garden, bringing the, the green spaces that inevitably bring the animals <laughs> into the community, um, you know, the, the butterflies, the bumblebees, the, the squirrels, the, the birds um, are now in these communities and folks in the communities have um, an opportunity to see some of these animals for the first time, um, to, to interact, to, um, to reconnect, and then we start to have conversations. I invite people out, you know, to the vegan living program, our six-week vegan education program. And a lot of folks come out to that. As a matter of fact, we had over 150 people participate in the program um, this year um, and invite them out to Vegan Soul Fest. We had close to 6,500 people come out to that and, you know, or the Eating for Life workshops or, or whatever. And and so I think that it's really important to be realistic when we are approaching um, people who are living at the margins, especially, um, in what is um, possible for them to even um, to even take on with their particular situation and then be of service, do something, you know, do something to help change the situation. Pointing fingers and telling people what's right and what's wrong and what they should and shouldn't do has never changed anything and probably never will. Um, and so 
um, for me, the community-based activism is a very, very effective way of connecting with people and then also connecting people back to the planet and to the animals. And from our work and what I've seen from what we've been able to do, it's far more effective than going around and pointing fingers. So that's my perspective and it's been my experience. Brenda, I'd like to thank you so much for speaking with us today. The work that you're doing is absolutely amazing and it's incredibly valuable. I wanted to take this opportunity also to thank you for everything that you continue to do on behalf of both humans and other animals. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Now a member of the animal kingdom Am I dead a thing to me? Why don't eat red meat or white fish? Don't give me no blue cheese We're all members of the